0: Welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand.
1: And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter.
0: Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing BrainTools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the BrainTools Podcast
1: welcome to episode six of the brain tools podcast i'm your host kieran here with sam as well as we're covering a topic that we've been very very excited to speak about and it is the neuroscience of love now it sounds a little bit weird but in this episode you are going to learn how love forms in your brain the actual neurochemical signatures that uh, give rise to that amazing feeling we have how dating in apps impact this process and as always six brain tools to improve your dating life which might sound weird from two neuroscientists but hey we're going to do it this episode welcome Sammy how are you
0: uh very excited very excited for this episode in particular
1: it is just amazing right now what's going on given all COVID-19 because I know you're in Melbourne at the moment and uh yeah lockdown was furthered. how are you feeling
0: Yeah, it's a strange time for all of us. Obviously, a lockdown here in Melbourne, you can't even leave the house without a mask on. So that's been uh, a bit of an adjustment. But as a result of that adjustment, we've seen some uh, drastic changes to people's activity, activity on their phones, activity on the internet, activity on certain apps, which is kind of what... (laughs)
1: <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. You know exactly what we're talking about.
0: The dating. You know hour. What are we talking about? We're talking about, they're they're talking about dating, aren't they? are going. off. They're absolutely going off. Can um,
1: yeah, I share mean, one? I would
0: love a fun fact. Go and hit me with a fun did fact. You
1: know, COVID given started what? Like hitting waves, February March. Tinder users made 3 billion swipes worldwide on Sunday 29th of March, which is the most the app has ever recorded in a yeah. single day.
0: How nuts that's, is that? That's it's a, 3 billion that swipes. Is a that's, lot a lot of moving right thumbs. That is ridiculous. That's that's a third of the a half of the population almost. Yeah. With the swipes.
1: I just feel bad for people's fingers, like she's yeah. just going rapid fire.
0: And the phone screens too. Also feel terrible for the phone screens. So shout out to uh, the phone screen manufacturers out there, propping <laughs> up our, our dating lives during this really weird time. That is an absurd stat. What, like, what? What do you reckon drives so much of that here?
1: It's a it's a good question. Like thinking about it, I'm I'm sitting here being like loneliness is a big thing at the moment. Like we spoke about in yeah, earlier yeah. episodes in well-being, um, where uh, in episode two, in fact, where studies have been tied to extreme loneliness rising and so many stress levels at the moment. Um, and so I suppose I don't know people wanting to connect even in an online world, um, yeah, to just feel like they're not alone. I am not sure. What do you think?
0: I man, I definitely think that's got a part to play. It's also the the social deprivation we talked about. This a little bit uh, beforehand, but the social deprivation of, of being in lockdown, not seeing your friends, being isolated, people are seeking out that connection, that human connection. And if it comes at the end of a right swipe and a match, then oh God, they'll take it where they can get it these days, mate.
1: Well, I think you got it, right? You got 42 more days given lockdown. Like We had to do that in Singapore. And um, I think yeah. that was... That was really hard. And like the headlines at the moment, like if you look from like, you know, the social isolation, the loneliness, how love and relationships, there's a few few perking around, I reckon.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I have found some absolute cracking headlines (laughs) about dating apps. Do you you mind if I share them with you? I'll be quick. I'll be quick.
1: Yeah, you can. Keep it PG though. All All right.
0: I'll keep it PG. So the first one I loved was "Viral Dating on the Rise as Users Seek Lockdown Love." Strong, <laughs> like a very, very, very strong. God, right? It could have been the name of a song of uh, a millennial song, and I'm sure when the COVID movies come out, it probably will be. <laughs> and the next one, and this is a this is a cracker because it's from uh, a really credible source, was coronavirus has had a dramatic effect on the way people use the dating app Tinder says it's boss on BBC News. So you know, you know when the boss of Tinder's coming out and saying, hey guys, might be time to slow down a little bit on the Tinder usage that there's uh that there's some serious activity happening on those apps. Um and, and you alluded to it before about the fact that it's maybe because of loneliness, but there is there's definitely some more going on under the hood.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's got to be lots going on with it. Like, I mean, looking at the stats, I know that paid subscription has gone down. And fun fact for you, I didn't realize that like match.com in is the conglomerate that owns things like Tinder and Hinge. So it's a lot sort of sit under them. And I know next week we'll be going into sort of the idea of relationships, but yeah, focusing today on on dating and courting given COVID-19 and technology. It's um it's a doozy this one. It's very interesting as well.
0: It's such a fascinating one. Are you think about I know we're going to cover this in, in probably the next section in a little bit, but how unnatural a dating app is. You know, we went from courting in real life to sonnets and Shakespeare to now a couple of swipes and some messages is what instigates a relationship. It's just such a, a bizarre turn of events for everyone. And you can see this play out in the neuroscience but also how different it is to the actual neuroscience process of love.
1: Exactly right, and I think um, based on today, recently back in the, the dating game myself as well. But I think the two part series we're going to be covering um, is romantic love is going to be all about today, and then compassionate love relationships next week with which Sammy is going to be the expert on. But I think the main thing before we jump into you know getting more information of where in fact, where sort of the brain comes into this idea of love is I've always been so perplexed, uh, and I, I do it's not a rant, but I've been really perplexed with this idea of love being a love heart kind of doesn't really make sense you, like i know that that's the what you, physical what you mean? That's a, well it's a physical thing right it's like whenever we think love we yeah think about, you know heart palpitations beating like butterflies in the stomach oh, yeah. without realizing oh, yeah. that it's a physical sensation that's kind of you know caused by the brain so in reality i'm sort of calling for uh, emoji reform here i would like the brain <laughs> imprinted on a love heart and not an actual love heart now because it doesn't make sense <laughs>
0: So, take notes next time I'm texting my partner. I'm going to send her a brain and tell her I I brain you.
1: <laughs> that's, that's just so fruitful, but,
0: mate. So, <laughs> so, so fruitful. I'm sure she's going to find that a really romantic ge- ge- gesture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear the reaction.
0: It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And yeah, you alluded to the fact that. You know, if you are already in a relationship uh, and you're maybe not on the dating apps, like some of us are, or you've got a long-term partner, next episode, we are going to talk about the dating, uh, the relationship neuroscience and during COVID and why it's so different and harder to communicate. Um, but if you are in the dating app game right now, which I know one person who is.
1: Uh, you actually suck. You are the worst. I, I, I know. I know. You literally, said you, literally said you were not going to bring this up. You said oh, we were going to cross by this and we were going to get into the neuroscience and we were not going to go into this. You suck. You yeah. are the worst. It's
0: it's, it's too late. So Kieran is uh, positionally an expert on this topic because of his recent activity over the last week or so.
1: You are the worst. <laughs> I went on one. I've been on one day. I went on, a day you went on one day. Let's just, let's level this. I know why you're bringing this up, right? Which is because we were meant to do the recording yesterday in the afternoon and I had scheduled a coffee with a a lovely, lovely human, um, as it turned out, at 11. And, you know, as you do, you don't know if the date's going to go phenomenally well. So you just hedge your bets and, you know, morning coffee, Mm You know, 1 p.m. If it doesn't work out, it's fine. Then we'll, uh, you know, do the podcast recording. Obviously, enjoy my time with you. But it turned out that it went very, very well. She's awesome. And it went uh, for a while longer. So I kind of canceled the episode, which is exactly why you're putting me through the ringer here. You're burning me. Yep.
0: That's exactly what's happened. I am, I'm cut. I'm a spurned lover <laughs> <laughs> fighting back. <laughs> um, so, Kieran is an, an, an expert to, to speak on this. You've obviously got some credibility in this space, but
1: you, you did. <laughs> Sorry, mate. You're saying I've got credibility. You're just like what well put, studied your neuroscience. One day. Flash has yeah. done, what, a million swipes or something is basically what you're trying to get at. Should I update my his LinkedIn thing, profile?
0: His right thumb is so strong. You've never seen a right thumb like it. It's just muscles are muscles.
1: <laughs> well, we will dive into the neuroscience and not let anyone else hear about my my story.
0: So speak, speaking of the neuroscience, because that's that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to talk. Where, how does love work in the brain? Before we even get to dating apps, how does it actually work? Well, it's a
1: it's a good question, and I think to take a step back, you know how much I love Darwin, our uh, good old Origin of Species, Natural Selection. I think it's important yeah. to establish like what is the purpose of love first and foremost from a biological sense. Now, I'm not trying to reduce love into its all its components, but In terms of Darwinian theory, if we are to survive and, you know, reproduce and extend our species, then in reality, love serves a a huge purpose, right? Love brings two people together to then reproduce um, and, you know, obviously sexual reproduction. But then when we speak about that difference between romantic love, that courting that, you know, you talked about that, you know, butterflies that you have, it does transition into something like compassionate love, which is much more of a partnership. And the, the research has shown lots on that, but also because the love that you have for your child must change, right? And that's to protect them, to ensure their survival. And so from an evolutionary basis, love has been so, so, so important to our survival. Without it, people wouldn't be incentivized to reproduce, um, which I think is a really important point uh, to note. And that all goes on in your brain, which is the the pre It's all happening in your brain. Chemical reaction. That's
0: crazy. eh? It's all out. It's all just a bunch of neurotransmitters and uh, electrical impulses firing between neurons. But like, it's great, good point. It's a really good point. Without love, where would we be? Where would we be? Probably, probably <laughs> still
1: monkeys. <laughs> Maybe. It wouldn't be doing well. Well, we've been we've been around for a little no. while now. But I'm, I'm just I'm just imagining my mum listening to this and being like, Karen, why do you think about this? Like love, like that. Love is something much oh, more. It's than concerning. That. And, I'm um, I'm sorry, and but there are some neurotransmitters to involved. <laughs> sorry, 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 mom. But shout there out are
0: mom and shout out to my mom
1: <laughs> that are responsible for all of this. And there's going to be some that we've spoken about previously. Mm. So, Sam, what I thought I'd do, as opposed to say, "Here's the area of the brain. Here's where everything's going on," I wanted to speak about the sort of four to five big sort of neurotransmitters involved in love, the chemical reactions that lead to the behaviors that lead to the feelings, um, and just sort of you know go back and forth because they are as follows, and I'm going to just list them out. Testosterone and estrogen, really important one in the lust phase. Dopamine, yep. which we've spoken a lot about in addiction. It's cortisol, yep. stress hormone, which we talked about in fear and well-being. Oxytocin and vasopressin. Ooh, words. And then finally, ooh. prefrontal cortex and our favorite places, Amy, the amygdala, and the good old striatum.
0: <laughs> so there's that was, there's a lot going on there. Let's, uh, let's, let's back it up to the start. How does uh, testosterone ooh, go into the gym? And uh, estrogen coming to play when we're talking about love. because I mean those yeah. are those are the female and male hormones, traditionally is how they're seen
1: it's a very good point and i think a think to to be mindful of here doing a bit of a deep dive into the research i think that's as you said we we discussed like that's a, a bit of a stereotype that estrogens for women and, and testosterone for male for men it's actually not the case they're present in both men and women or males and females just to different amounts mm. but if we break down romantic love into sort of three stages right you've got your lust the lustful stage right which is like you know i'm very into this person there's a lot of sexual attraction there um testosterone and estrogen play a massive massive part it's produced in a brain a part of the brain called the hypothalamus and it's a really big part of sort of sexual gratification appetite it it provides that feeling and impetus to be like look uh, i would like to sleep with said person uh, to be really frank with you mm-hmm. and it's going to also peak during ovulation in terms of estrogen uh, and so that you know we talk about uh, sexual libido in men as an example being quite low when testosterone is low and therefore supplements needing to be taken as a result so testosterone is that real sort of key driver and it's a very big marker in particular for male health uh, as well and that's the first sort of lustful stage if that makes sense
0: so you're really saying that those two hormones particularly drive a lot of that uh that lust and the actual the sexual desire Correct. component of love which is which is totally. a part of love and it's not all of love before anyone gets really up and a knot about it we we understand there's more to it which you're about to touch on here a little bit
1: I think this it's is your favourite neurotransmitter. Right? I actually think it is. No, it is. I think you it's love dopamine. Like the amount we talk about dopamine, it's uh, it's high up there.
0: Uh, I'm Sam, and I'm a reformed dopamine addict. <laughs> 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 Said no one ever. Where, look, dopamine is the reason we can do what we do. It's so important. So, it doesn't surprise me. It plays a role in dating, in love.
1: For sure, and it's the whole idea of motivation and goal-directed behavior. You know that Sam. I know you felt mm. this before. You know that elation, the giddiness, the euphoria, the sleeplessness when you are, are first starting to uh, court with another human being. Do you remember those feelings uh, with your current girlfriend slash lovely partner? And you should answer uh, well with this one. I, I,
0: I do, and I'm I'm going to tread very carefully, but also <laughs> honestly, uh, I do actually. So there's probably one quote that captures this whole idea. And it was maybe date three after I met my amazing partner four years ago. We've only been seriously dating for a year officially, but I met her four years ago. And I remember talking to my mom and other people in, in my life. And I was so excited about meeting this awesome, super smart, uh, incredible girl. And I just said, you know what? She's she's going to be the girl I, I date in maybe five years time. She's just too good for me.
1: Sorry, I'm just uh, I'm just tallying the amount of brownie points you're earning right now. I think you're on seven, just as yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know she's going to listen to this, so
1: well. But based on what like, you're saying, it's a very interesting yeah. experiment. Just to highlight what you're saying from a dopamine perspective, and just to remind people okay. again, same uh, circuitry as addiction reward. Uh, checking out, obviously, uh, the episode five on addiction. But in 2005, Sam, a person called Fisher. He led a research team that published a groundbreaking study. Now, I'm talking this is super, super interesting. We're obviously visual creatures. What happened is they showed pictures of loved ones to these people, 2,500 brain scans of college students in particular. And when they viewed someone that was very special to them, that they loved and they said they loved, Mm. what would literally light up, as you like to say, as a Christmas tree was the dopamine circuits. The, v, the ventral tegmental area, which produces all that dopamine, the striate that it directs it upon, that entire pathway was lighting up. And what became super interesting is it literally, in the same way people get addicted to drugs and we talk about all the behavioral addictions, love is addictive. That's why it's so addictive oh. and dopamine plays a central role in love.
0: Oh, yeah, that that's really fascinating. Well, it's also part of the reason why dating apps are so addictive is the the activation of that reward circuitry, especially when it comes to people we consider attractive. So there's a study that was done around this, right?
1: Oh, study. Uh, yes, I like
0: uh, everyone loves a good study, and I'm I'll you know, I'll make sure that it's a nice and digestible study. But this guy called Vasily Kluracharev, uh, from the FC Donda Center for Russian? Cognitive Neuroimaging, uh in the Netherlands. So Dutch Sorry, and Russian, bad. I think. He sounds Russian, but essentially they showed uh, a whole bunch of people uh, who had uh, brain scanning machines, fMRI hooked up to their brains, images of attractive people, and when they saw someone they considered attractive, this this reward center of the brain, the nucleus accumbent accumbent, like flashed. It just went red hot with activation. Um, and so it's part of the reason it's so addictive when we're on these apps is think about how many attractive people are on there. If the reward center of our brain is constantly flashing, and we're going to talk about this a little bit in the next section about problems, but if the reward center of our brain is constantly flashing, there's no wonder we can't put down the phone if we're swiping.
1: It's actually such a good point. Like it's it's still, as having studied neuroscience and you obviously doing massive deep dives into it and doing this, dopamine is just so central. Uh, in a lot of different mm. things, but it like actually is, it's not just a headline. And it, what becomes really interesting is the, the third sort of hormone neurotransmitter, if you will, but hormone is cortisol during the love courting phase, yeah. and which you obviously remember with your lovely girlfriend and partner is love is actually like almost a form of stress. Because what happens is there's lots of cortisol going on. That's why you get sort of itchy and so on. And cortisol only really decreases after 12 to 18 months. And what the hypothesis is, is because you're not necessarily super comfortable that this is going to be something long-term until you get to certain time mm. steps in that. And that's where uh, the, the very interesting attachment phase starts to go on, which we're going to talk about uh, next week. But oxytocin and vasopressin, some of your favorite ones as well, that play a role uh, in in the love making, if you will.
0: Mm, yeah lots to talk about next week uh and and to cover because it's such a big thing love in the brain and neuroscience of love uh and also it it can lead to us acting really stupid like people love sick yeah everyone's been love sick where you've just done something really stupid whether it was you know go out on a limb for someone that you were infatuated with or travel miles across the country to see someone you weren't even in a relationship with because you're lovesick Uh, there's actually a brain reason why we get lovesick
1: would you like me to answer that
0: I would like you to answer that. It was a very, very vague, open question. Just floating it out into the ether, hoping but someone a-
1: could
0: conveniently answer.
1: As you said, Sam, I think the last part just to touch on from a where love originates, the P- PFC, the prefrontal cortex, we talk so much about it. It's the thing that differentiates us um, as a species from other animals, and it's the CEO. What happens, though, when you are involved and engaged in romantic love, um, the neural machinery, this PFC, that is responsible for saying, hey, what's this person like? Let's evaluate this person. It shuts down, literally. Mm. And this is where the whole term of love is blind came from, is that uh, Zeki in 2007 actually found that there was a suspension in judgment or relaxation of that judgmental area by which we judge other people when we are romantically involved with them so we will see past the shortcomings we're not going to evaluate pros and cons Mm -hmm. and be like here is this list of all the bad things we're literally going to say here are the bad things Nah, don't really care i don't care about these here are all these beautiful things and that's why love is so illogical especially in that honeymoon phase where we do really irrational and stupid things uh
0: we get lovesick we get lovesick because the, uh, you know, the decision making regulator in our brain is going, nah. Let's not be rational here.
1: I, will, as you said, I will travel around the world even during COVID nineteen. Yeah. Person.
0: <laughs> I will do anything and go to the end of the earth for you. Hey, important.
1: I you. Hey, important. So many important starts of uh, long term relationships have obviously come from it. But look, I'm not gonna lie. I might have made a few mistakes in my time based on being love drunk. So <laughs> not ideal. We have definitely all been there.
0: <laughs> I've, I've been there with my current partner, and that's a story for next week. So you have to just stay tuned until then. That that pretty much covers the the basis of of love in the brain that we can talk about. But really excited to cover some more of the problems associated with modern dating because it's, it's all well and good knowing how love works in the brain, but the current dating environment we're in, where we, we're relying on apps. Uh, whatever the most popular ones are now, Hinge, Bumble, Tinder, some other weird double syllable word that has zero meaning, or whatever the next coffee app
1: is. Don't understand it.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, there was, there was, I saw there was another one out recently, and it's like uh, when you bump into people, and it shows people in your proximity. Really strange. They're just getting weirder and weirder, but all of them have something similar in that they don't simulate real world dating it's it's a simulacrum and a really bad one at that i'm going to talk about a couple of the problems that are associated with that in this next section on the brain problems with modern dating All right, now we're going to talk about the brain problems with modern dating. So we're going to cover the weird stuff that happens in your brain when you're using dating apps, including how they hijack your brain differently to real dating. So you can really understand uh, what's going on and why you swipe so damn much. Because let's be real, everyone is a serial swiper. Everyone who's ever used the dating app is a serial swiper. Are you a serial swiper?
1: I can't believe you're asking me these questions. Really? Putting me <laughs> no, I, I consciously select. No, I have gone through you're
0: my time.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've, look, on equality, you've got to weigh up the levers sometimes. Right. So
0: you, you really do, but I mean, it's kind of not your fault and it's not anyone's oh, okay. fault. Thanks. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm going to be really nice here. It's not your fault because the way dating apps are built is they rely on addiction in, in the design to make money. So their whole business model would be unsuccessful if they didn't rely on people to continuously swipe and they do everything they can to keep you hooked. And I'm going to give you a brief rundown if you don't mind on how that works. I would love to know. Talk to me. Fantastic. So we alluded to a little bit before with dopamine, but when we do something rewarding, like going on a great date, meeting someone we'd like, the brain releases dopamine, this neurotransmitter for reward, but it doesn't need to experience the reward to release dopamine it's actually in anticipation so it's it's that moment when you you match with someone and you expect and anticipate and imagine what a date like is going to be like with this super attractive person that's when the dopamine floods through your system it's anticipatory right
1: makes a lot of sense when you say anticipatory like your brain you're saying is it's almost it's just wanting it almost like that addiction episode we did like they're they're craving that thing
0: Craving. That's exactly right. Because the brain is expecting, expecting this future thing to happen, this reward. And it's, it's predicting this to happen in real time in, you know, milliseconds. And this happens, you know, whenever we match with uh, a hot guy or a hot girl, but then that association gets transferred to notifications. So now every time your phone is pinging, whether it's yeah. a message or a match, your brain is going, oh, my God, it's going to be this date with this hot person that I'm really into. And, like, the reward center of your brain just flashes.
1: Right? Uh, and it, I knew it- it's so important. Like, it's actually on it in our uh, yeah. chat because not to, not to get too deep and meaningful, but I feel, and this is not based on neuroscience, but based on what you're saying, that whole idea of validation. Like it's always so nice yeah. to feel like someone who you're evaluating in some sort of a hierarchy totally. is, is good looking or is smart or whatever we attribute um, likes you. That's like basically what we're saying. It's like, we like that.
0: Well, well that's it. We, we like them, right? addictive, um, and, and this is why it's so addictive, but it's also because the unrewardable or uh, the unpredictable reward schedule, like you don't know when you're going to match.
1: That's a really good point because it's not it's really like you don't, important. as in you said, you're not expecting it. So that will heighten yeah. the difference between what you're expecting and what you actually receive.
0: Totally. And there's, there's been a whole bunch of studies around this that unpredictable rewards cause more activity in the reward center because the brain doesn't know what to predict. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, casino slot machines and gambling and they use this same effect because you don't know when you're going to get a match because a match is releasing this anticipatory uh, dopamine rush the apps are really addictive. And so we swipe and we swipe and we swipe. They hijack the brain's reward learning system to hook you and make you addicted. And that's why there's such a problem with notifications.
1: It makes so much sense because that feeds into something that I was looking at, which is, as you alluded to, like the the thing we're evaluating on is is physical attractiveness and there's no real Mm. other way to put it. Like if if you're more attractive when we look at it, Generally, you're going to swipe right. You're not always going to engage to look at their bio, look at all those different things. And that's the halo effect that I know you're going to speak about in a little bit. But we talk about that golden ratio. We talk about symmetry um, all the time. You're evaluating on whether they're good-looking or not um, generally. And that then leads you to attribute, if they're good-looking, surely they're nice. If they're nice, they're probably smart. If they're smart, they're probably successful. It's that whole notion of, um, you know, beauty and, and reward. But the story that we end up creating as a result of it, like I'm sure I've done this before. I swipe someone who I view quite attractive and I immediately create this story five to 10 years from now. That I'm with them oh, uh, and it's great. And it's, uh, it's a great future. And I haven't even like started speaking to <laughs> yeah. them, it. depressing.
0: A future wedding and, and, you know, what your kids are going to be like, what your professions are going to be.
1: So right. that's, it's a, that's, that's, it's so It's a good point. So, <laughs> I'm weird. doing so much self-loathing right now, but as yeah. you said, it's uh, not great.
0: <laughs> um, I and mean, I mean, you touched on it as well, like that. That halo bias from attractiveness is a real thing. They even found mothers who had attractive babies were more in love or uh, showed more love towards their children when they were perceived as attractive. So it's this inherent bias, and it's definitely plays out totally in the way we're uh, we're swiping through the apps and the other problem is there's a bit of brain catfishing going on. Kieran, have you ever been catfished?
1: Why why do you keep asking me these questions? you are the worst. Like you get possibly experience. possibly back back in the day possibly there was a bit of a difference between expectation and reality, but we still I like to think had a a great conversation. Thanks for asking, Sam.
0: Well, very diplomatic of you. Uh, I'm sure you'll win plenty of female fans after that. Bureaucratic, <laughs> bureaucratic politician-like answer. That's not even what I'm talking about, though. You, you're <laughs> on my okay. So I'll put you on the spot. Very unfairly. I'm, Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about brain catfishing. And you, you just Talk alluded to, to that, right? It's this expectation setting that of this reward being anticipated that you go through when you match, and especially when you match with someone you consider attractive, you create this expectation, or like you just said, this narrative of what that person's going to be, of what the date's going to be before you even meet them. And because you don't have all the contextual cues you get when you meet someone, their body language, their tone of voice, the way they carry themselves, sometimes this can lead to a huge mismatch when you meet up in real life and they are not – not you know less attractive than their photos or in any way like that but you've just built them up so much in your mind there's a mismatch in expectations versus
1: reality it makes so much sense as well because it's like you've got that whole idea of brain brain catfishing but then what you've got is just so much choice i'd imagine yeah right? like as we spoke about in habits like humans don't really like that much choice we'll take the path of least resistance which is a bit of a paradox
0: it's a massive paradox ah oh, great segue um So there's a paradox of choice and that's everyone wants to think they have, they should have more choices and that'll make them happier. But there's so much research to show is that this is the exact opposite case. And there's a guy called Barry Schwartz, who's kind of the godfather of of choice research and uh, shout out to you, Barry. Uh, I actually found him through a podcast as is Anzari, but he, he likes to say that having more choices leads to people making less choices when you've got more options, but also leads to you to feeling less satisfied and there's a crazy study with jam with jam would you believe
1: jam jam with jam like spreading jam
0: no i'm I'm talking like jam you put on your crumpets or your toast or what what strawberry forever
1: give me strawberry
0: i'm I'm a raspberry jam kind of man well
1: you can go away
0: (laughs) So, yeah, we think we have more options, you know, the better our life's going to be. But they did this study with Jam where they had two supermarkets. One had six options of Jam. The other had 24. And they found that when they had 24 Jam options on the shelf, less people chose Jam. Jam was taken as less an option. And then a couple of weeks later, when they interviewed the people who bought Jam, they were less happy with their choices because they were playing this what if game. What if I had bought one of the other 23 Jams as opposed to six versus five? And why am I talking about jam when we're talking about dating? We think about think about dating apps and the amount of options you have, right?
1: There, it, like I would not know how many swipes people do, but if there were three billion done on the 29th of March, I'd imagine there's a lot of swiping going on.
0: Oh, a lot of swiping! So many swiping! So uh, as is Anzari, the ki- uh, comedian, teamed up with the social psychologist who wrote this good great book called modern romance and he's on this podcast called the hidden brain and he gives this analogy right and it's like every time you meet someone now you go on a date with someone you you go to the bathroom and your phone buzzes and it's like jam hitting you up being like hey what are you doing and you go (laughs) on your phone and you can swipe through and there's like you know a million pieces of jam in your area who are free and single and ready to meet and you just there's just too much jam there's too much jam going on in the dating world there's too many options And because there's too much jam out there, like we're suffering from this paradox of choice.
1: It does make a fair bit of sense though, what you're saying, because, and again, this is more based on social psychology than neuroscience, but if you look at behavioral economics 101, people mm. just want to have the option of choice. But when you give them that choice, they very rarely take that choice because they've got learned yeah. behaviors, habits that have been reinforced, um, particularly you know at school and, and so on and so forth that have had a, a lot of social conditioning. So the paradox of choice, I, I agree. And I think this was more of a subconscious one, I would posit, as opposed to yeah, I'm consciously totally. overwhelmed by choice.
0: I, I, I think it is as well. And it's it plays out in that, like people who are perpetual swipers, they keep going through because they have so many options.
1: It's you should you know, point I'm, out. I'm you're a perpetual swiper. I like it.
0: Perpetual <laughs> swiper. I put that on my uh my gravestone. No, I, I have a long-term partner. That's not me. But it also means, you know, because we have so many choices, right? It's so easy to to
1: ghost people. You are spot on. Ghosting. It's more prevalent now because when you really look mm-hmm. back at how other uh how you met or how people met let's say over the past 100 years, uh, romantic partners or long-term partners, generally speaking, it's through social circles, right? And so there's a lot more to lose. Um, there's a lot more collateral than if you say you don't meet up or and so on in terms of your reputation. And because there's a lower risk of ruining your reputation because you have no idea who all these people are. Like you might know of them, you might you know swipe on a few friends and see them. But in reality, you don't really have to care too much mm. about their well-being and their um, how they're going. And so I think that's a really important thing to note. Ghosting is much more prevalent now, but what's been also very interesting through social psychology looking at people who actually use these apps in particular, lonelier people People actually tend to go on these apps, and that kind of makes sense. Oh, really? right. Which is like um, the more like if you're lonely, you're going to try and go through and you know connect with people. But as what you've said, it's a classic case of going to a place to find social connection, but then swiping lots without really investing heavily. And so yeah. in reality, like your area under the curve. And again, you know how I am with mathematics. You're swiping lots, but you're not really connecting lots. So it's actually not mm. a very large area. Um, and so yeah, ghosting becoming a lot prevalent. And I'm not going to lie, I may I may not have done that sometimes possibly
0: <laughs> are, are, really, are you a perpetrator I'm, you uh, look, I'm, not,
1: look, I'm at least not a perpetual swiper but I'm not, I'm not and i'm not a perpetual ghoster but i may or may not have rep- not replied to a few conversations in the past and that has happened to me as well and i think that's a really important thing to be mindful of is that you are obviously heightening mm-hmm. ghosting but you're also heightening rejection even though the rejection might be subtle we've got to be mindful the impact subconsciously that might have on your well-being
0: Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Ghosting, you know, my parents never had to deal with it and then now it's everywhere. And (laughs) we don't want to be negative Nancys. There are some benefits of dating apps.
1: For sure, right? When like, And when you flip it and you look at what dating apps and, and online dating is done, again, an increasingly globalized world, it's more accessible to enter the dating game than it ever has been, right? Like, look, let's just go back to back in the day. You were generally stuck in your own geography uh, in terms of the, the people you can meet. Uh, again, we're now pretty borderless, generally speaking, and so it's more accessible um, to do so. And I think that's a really important. I think you talked about that idea of, you know, you looked at thin markets, which is a, a pretty interesting idea.
0: Yeah. It's, it doesn't sound like a dating concept, but... Yeah, it doesn't. Again, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as, as is, yeah. Sounds Business. Business. <laughs> <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to my boy Aziz. Aziz, Aziz <laughs> say to me Aziz. Uh, Aziz I'm sorry for introducing me this concept. And it's this idea of thin markets, which is basically like when you're dating in a place and your dating pool is really small. And a good example is this. If you're in a small town... Uh, a small country town and and you're maybe homosexual or, or gay or lesbian or LGBTQTI of any sort, the dating pool is so small that there's not a high probability you'll meet someone who meets, who meets um, what you're looking for. And so the advantage of online dating is it really opens up those possibilities for people who have thin markets or who are in this like subsector of, of uh, the dating game where it's a lot harder to meet people locally. Um, And I think that's a great thing. You know, it's really opened it up for for these people.
1: Absolutely. And especially people that I I also posit that, possibly uh, aren't as socially confident let's put it that way which is it's a little bit easier I I posit to uh, message someone than it is to go up to somebody and say hey would you like to go on a go for a coffee with me like that is still a daunting experience because people fear rejection but it also changes the variables that are at play I mean like you know people will evaluate you by looking at you still obviously through pictures but it's not as if money is going to be the massive driver unless you're on those um you know those elite dating apps that uh, some people may be a part of but Sammy and I clearly aren't but um yeah I, I yeah. think that it changes the variables uh, of of the game, particularly. And the courting process is a little bit longer now, especially given COVID-19, in that you can't physically see each other. So um, I think that becomes an interesting proposition to what not necessarily being a benefit of dating apps, but how it changes uh, the nature uh, and the process of it all.
0: Mm, I love that you said courting. It is, is so Shakespearean. The courting process, my league. <laughs> World War
1: One and two. let me uh, let me write a letter and carry a pigeon it over and, hey, presto, but what we are going to uh, do, Samuel, is we are definitely uh, going to be looking at do. some very practical brain tools. Ooh, and I know that might seem really yeah. weird to say, uh, what do two people involved in neuroscience, <laughs> what can they offer from a dating perspective, which might seem pretty odd, but... We've got six very good tools. We reckon that will help.
0: And and you know what? If you're not on the dating apps, you can share these with someone who, who are because these are, these are some crackers. I'm really excited for the next section on brain tools.
1: And everyone's favorite section we're now in the brain tool six brain tools by uh, obviously your resident neuroscientist so to speak uh, in terms of improving uh, dating but more importantly just more fulfilling i suppose relationships and the the premise i've got here sam is more because the the brain tools we're going to about to speak about aren't necessarily all neuroscience-based because it's very hard to say what's the neuroscience of dating and then take out some really clear brain tools based on it. Psychology is generally the emergent property of neuroscience. And so a lot of these are based on social psychology um, and cognitive psychology, yeah. as opposed to saying here is neuroscience-based tips. And I want to make that as a bit of a disclaimer so we don't reach uh, too far away, if you're okay with that.
0: I'm okay with that. And it's a good point. So like contextually, we know that the the neuroscience of love and dating is super complex and it, and it really hasn't been mapped out. We've kind of got this, this drawing in crayon from a two-year-old rather than a fleshed out blueprint. So it's okay if we lean on a bit of psychology for this section. I'm okay with that.
1: I appreciate it. Which leads me to brain tool number one which I'm uh, pretty excited for. And I will I will posit just my little hedge. This is probably not uh, in terms of enhancing people's dating lives based on neuroscience, but I would hope that if you get this right, it will definitely lead to some positive downstream consequences. And brain tool number one, Sam, is know why you're on the apps. Yeah. The re- the reason I put that forward is I would posit when I first got on to the apps, I was probably doing it for two factors. One, everyone told me about them, so I was curious about it and number two i was like what's the harm it was peer pressure and what's the harm like i'll try it out it's technology i'll have a look and so it's important for people to consider why they're on this in the first place as opposed to just um being on autopilot and downloading them otherwise you might find yourself getting addicted to these apps and when i say addicted again light addictions we're not talking about drugs and so on um but then lead to superficial relationships and a waste of time at the end of the day and this is a very simple task. sort of tool to use. It's just an evaluative framework with four questions. And the reason I put this, as you know, I'm quite mathematical, my four questions are, how so many times have you swipe? How many times have you swiped? I don't think people really keep track of it in reality. So let's just assume you've swiped a thousand times. Based on those a thousand, how many matches have you had? And actually evaluate this. Is it 10? Is it 20? Is it 30? I'm not saying keep a spreadsheet, but you're looking now at 3% of all your swipes leading to a match. Of the match, Matches, how many people do you actually speak to? And then of the ones that you speak to, how many do you actually meet up with and what's the time spent? And I'm not trying to disregard and say, don't go on the apps, but if you understand why you're going on them, you also understand the limitations of them. And that in reality, you're investing time in a platform like you would any other social media medium and to be very cognizant of it because you are what you spend your time on.
0: Wow. Analyzing your own... App usage algorithm.
1: Pretty much. And especially given how many notifications pop up. Like, yeah. let's be frank. Oh, like, the notifications that's, that's, are rife. That's the problem, right.
0: I, that's that's a, a great one. I had never thought about doing that and now that I'm not in the game. But the one thing I did used to do when I was using dating apps and one thing I always recommend is, like, fight the addiction with your notifications. Turn them off. Turn all the dating notification off. Uh, notifications off. And this is a no-brainer. Lots of people know this. I know this is common sense, but I'm going to give you a quick why you should want to do this. It's because every time your phone buzzes, pings, bings, brings, whatever wacky sound. (laughs) I don't know what the kids Uh, I remember back in the day where, uh, you know, you could purchase ringtones and that was great. But like, what have you got? You get a rush of dopamine and other neurotransmitters just from that notification, which is what reels you along this addictive pathway to usage. So when your notifications are on and you're using the dating apps, you're constantly imagining you know, matches with attractive people that make you really exciting. And it just hooks you to that dating app. So go to your settings, turn them off, and be really deliberate about when you use it so that you're not hooked by those notifications. Really, really simple brain tool. Turn your notifications off.
1: I really like that though. I know it's, it's simple, but I mean, if you're evaluating why you're on it and then you're actually turning off the notifications, you're not going to have that, yeah. as we spoke about earlier. Dopamine rush of, oh, someone that might be good looking, that is the key yeah. variable I'm analyzing, has swiped me. This is amazing. Here's my 10-year story with this person.
0: Yeah, exactly. Totally. And you think about it from a distraction standpoint as well. I remember when I was on the dating apps and working and you'd be having message conversations with people. It's so hard to stay focused in work when you think someone that's, you know, really attractive is
1: just message you. So hard. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I think when we look at the, you can imagine you're on like a profile now. The the really important part is obviously the conversations you end up having with people as well when you're yeah. on
0: it. Totally. So how do you go about having better conversations? Because it's obviously a little bit unnatural talking to someone via text. You don't get the, the same cues you get face-to-face, the visual cues the, the, the tonal cues, like, what can
1: you do? It's so funny you're asking this because every time people bring it up, they're always like, it's all about the banter. Oh, <laughs> Everyone, oh. The number of times the amount it's, like, it's of all about banter and having fun. And sure, that is very important, but I'm hopefully going to give a pretty practical brain tool that actually um, is probably pretty established in both online and offline dating. And the brain tool is ask more follow-up questions. So, mm. I think the, the research study that was done about this, and there was a, a fair few studies, but there was two, that they examined more than 600 online chat participants tasked with getting to know each other, obviously, in not a forced setting at all. So organic and so <laughs> natural. <laughs> and <laughs> what they actually established though, and again, and there was a later third study they did in speed dating as well. But the, the, the premise was this, people ask different types of questions. There are six really different types of questions. You've got introductory questions. I'm introducing myself. You've got mirror questions to match and mirror with the person. You've got full switch questions, which is you switch the topic altogether. Partial switch, a little bit of a change. Follow-up and then rhetorical questions. The 44% of all these questions, more than any other type, were follow-up questions. And the key conclusion that came from these three studies, those who asked follow-up questions were better liked than those who didn't, which is pretty nuts.
0: Crazy. So you, you basically tell me that there's a one type of question which we prefer.
1: Absolutely. And the really interesting, and again, I'm going to posit this as a hypothesis, not a conclusion, but it's twofold. A follow-up question requires you to listen to what the person has said or read what the person has said and yeah. use that in the question you're formulating. So it shows I've actually read and listened to what you've said. The second thing, though, is it then leads to the person communicating more. And you always hear people talk, you should spend in sales meetings, and I'm not saying this is a sales meeting, but you should spend 80% of your time being quiet and 20% of your time talking. Again, whatever that means, the key variable is showing interest. That's essentially your methodology of showing interest is by thinking about what people are saying, really internalizing it, and then going through it. And I've got some pretty, hopefully, practical tips, and I'm not saying this will work all the time, but hopefully, on how we use that Sam, can I share with you practically how you use it?
0: You can definitely share with me practically how you use it. Just really quickly on that that listening, I had a little bit of, uh, on that listening because I think it's really powerful to mm. know that showing your listening Please. is really effective for communication because what actually happens is when you show the other person you've listened to them, the reward, the social reward centers in their brain light up. And there's been research that shows this happening in real time and being understood. Is inherently pleasurable. So when you're asking these follow-up questions, like the like you suggest, you're making them feel good because you're showing you care and you've understood what they've said. So I just wanted to add that little little oh, bit of color commentary.
1: That we're painting Da Vinci. We're reading it right now. You know that. But based on what you're saying, though, um, to, to be fair, I, I totally agree with that sentiment because it's a whole seek to understand before seeking to be understood. But you know it. But as a baseline, people just like to talk about themselves. That's not a bad thing right? But people They're like good. to talk about themselves. And so, if you can play that uh, position, being mindful, I'm going to hedge here, that the, to both extremes, not great. You don't want to not ask follow-up questions, but you don't want to ask too many. Otherwise, you become intrusive and you don't share enough about yourself. So, practically, if I'm somebody that is even on a date, uh, and this is coming from a non-dating person, but uh, that or online, look at people's bios legitimately. I know this might seem silly, but people's introductions are normally, hey, how are you? I mean, if you look at someone's buyer, you ask something, you're already starting that. Set a number of goals, a goal for the number of questions you want to ask. So the, the studies actually showed five to nine is a really good marker to just set as a goal in your head. So it brings conscious mm-hmm. awareness to doing so. And then when you do ask those follow-up questions, it's actually really important to give a vignette about yourself before doing so it's the same parallel yeah, with the yeah, job interview yeah. give a bit of information about yourself and ask the follow-up question so the follow-up question is colored by your own personal experience then you get the best of both worlds someone actually being hey they're sharing stuff about themselves but they're also simultaneously super interested in that and just be mindful of not overdoing it you don't want to have a conversation with someone that is like a job interview where you have 20 follow-up questions and you share nothing uh. about yourself otherwise it's like i'm evaluating this person with my checklist of yeah. requirements
0: hundred percent, and it's like one-sided too. Suddenly they're talking to themselves. No one wants to interview themselves.
1: Uh, no, no not, not at all, not at all. And I think that becomes a very interesting uh, idea to look at, obviously, yeah. assuming you've matched with someone, right, on these dating apps or in life. And there's a lot of variables I know you looked into that uh, dictate whether someone swipes right or swipes left. Well, I think I have that right. (laughs) (laughs) Get it right, get it right.
0: It's right. Which we're going to cover in uh, the next section uh, with the last three brain tools for this episode. So stick around for that. Okay, and now the last section of brain tools. The last. Three brain tools. This is where we're getting really nitty gritty with some neuroscience, especially from me. Are you ready to go, Kieran? I am excited about this section.
1: I'm pumped. You hit me with yours. I'm ready. Brain tool number four.
0: Brain tool number four. Make your profile pick easy breezy.
1: Well, firstly, I'll say I like the rhyme, but second, what does easy breezy mean? What are you talking about?
0: the rhyme is great you're welcome but <laughs> what what this means is make your profile picture easy to process as a photo because this is seen as more attractive now i will have to break that down a little bit Brian. yeah please so brains prefer images that are easy to, to process. It's called cognitive load or cognitive ease. You know, Daniel Kahneman like to talk about because of this energy conservation that we have as part of our survival mechanism. Anything that was easy is seen as preferable because the brain expends less work. But there was actually a, a study done on this kid. There was a study. Oh,
1: your study galore. Yeah. You know I like a study. We've talked about some studies. What was this study about?
0: So there's, there's a study on this uh, performed by Unravel who create this EEG machine, which is basically like a brain scanner. And what they did is they conducted a neuroscientific study into online dating and Tinder. And they, they got 30 pictures of people, right? They got 30 pictures of people to simulate Tinder and the swiping experience. And then they got 14 guys and 13 girls into a lab and they had them swipe left or right on these photos. So basically like you would do with Tinder. But the difference was while they were doing this, they had this cap on their head measuring activity in their brain so they could see what was happening. And they they wanted to do this for a couple of reasons because they found that through measuring brain activity with this EEG cap, they could predict attractiveness based on activation of a specific area, which is crazy. So there's an area called a uh, a pattern of activity called prefrontal asymmetry. And they could see anytime this lit up, that the person would be attracted to the photo. And they could predict this before the person even said it, which was crazy. But the more interesting part, and that comes to this point about making it easy breezy, is they figured out what kind of profile pictures to use.
1: (laughs) Did they actually? Oh, wow. This is totally gaming the system. (laughs) It's totally gaming the system. Like
0: this is, yeah, I almost feel a little bit dirty about sharing this information, but- it's, it's fascinating, and for people out there who are struggling to get a, a match to swipe right, this might really help. So it turns out pitches that were harder to process, that had more going on, decreased the perception of attractiveness. People rated them as less attractive. Well, The higher the cognitive workload, the busier the photo was, the more complex, the less attractive the person. So put simply, people were more likely to swipe right on pitches that were really easy to process. So I guess the question is, what does easy to process mean, right? It, like it's,
1: just, I'm I'm taking notes clearly.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, Kieran, take note, takes take notes because uh, you could use this. So according to the study, so there are five things that make a, a picture complex. The number one is color contrast. So the contrast between your colors is your photo really light, and there's uh, no difference between you and the background. Because if there's no contrast, it's too hard to tell who you are, and it's almost like the brain is squinting to figure out who you are. And it doesn't like that. The brain doesn't like to squint. So the more color contrast, the easier to see your face, the better. Number two, background noise. And I'm I'm not talking about sound because obviously there's no sound.
1: Podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear the background noise in my chair? Background noise is the, the stuff happening in your background. The more work the brain has to do to figure out why you're there, who you are the The less attractive it perceives you because of the cognitive workload. So you know, busy streets, lots of people, activities, colors, they all reduce the perception of attractiveness. They all make it harder.
1: Hmm. Pretty crazy. Interesting. And there
0: are three more, three more quick ones. Other people, just like background noise. You got too many other people in the background.
1: I'm not going to lie. I was about to ask this. I was like, I feel like if you're talking about complexity, I feel like the number of photos that I've seen and my own have so many people in there. But what you're saying is the more objects, the more complexity, the less likely people are to swipe in a positive manner.
0: One 100%. Like the brain needs to be able to identify in a second who the main person is. And if it's you in a group of 10, you go through that mental process of like, oh, which one is he? or which one is she she the one second from right and there's all this thinking that happens that detracts away from that split second judgment makes um sense. yeah it makes sense so have a solo picture the last two turns out the brain prefers images that are just the top third of your body so for whatever reason we find <laughs> these the most attractive i don't i don't know why this was just what the research found oh this is a checklist
1: i'm failing epically
0: <laughs> yeah So if you've got a full length shot of your entire body with a group and busy background and low contrast, you're probably (laughs) losing quite a few attractiveness perception battles. (laughs) Um, And the the last one, which is this should be pretty clear, but show your face, no facial obstruction. So anytime people had sunglasses on or something obscuring the face, they will perceived as less attractive, which it's it's all really about humanizing it, right?
1: So are you talking about – so are you basically saying to me that Pitbull would struggle on Tinder?
0: I, I'm saying conclusively that Pitbull <laughs> is a Tinder failure. Mr. Worldwide <laughs> does not get <laughs> Oh,
1: That's one of my worst jokes ever. Let's move on.
0: <laughs> and on to the next section. <laughs> so <laughs> to wrap up that really long brain tool, make your, make your profile easy take out the people in the background, just have you, don't cover up your face, make the contrast good and you're good to go. It's all really, it's about making it human and you've got a brain tool about making it human.
1: I do, yeah. Brain tool number five, which is uh, a recent addition to uh, the, the dating app scene, which is using voice notes plus video, not mm. just text. Now, this might be a controversial point. But you've, I think we've got to remember that we're already in an online world and that already takes away largely from the human mm. experience to a degree, right? It can add, but it also can subtract. And I think when we talk about when you're putting your best foot forward in any particular situation, it does involve uh, humanizing every single interaction. And people, there are so many studies done, and I'm not going to go through a. Uh, through all of them but um, are more persuasive when they're able to use their senses they're able to see they're able to yeah. hear they're able to feel what is going on in a conversation but it also leverages the oddball effect and the oddball effect being that most people are just going to use text so if you would like to stand out from the crowd people are more likely to respond to have that dopamine bing um, if it's a little bit more novel and so doing a voice note of saying hey how are you or going onto video conversations eventually um, will be really really positive and again there's not a, mm-hmm. a big on how do you use this it's quite literally use the voice note uh, component within these apps, use the video app and actually go to that. Because as we said, the courting process is probably going to be a bit longer given um, you are, uh, we're now obviously in in a COVID-19 world. Uh, And so humanizing every interaction you can possibly have may make it more meaningful for you, but also can obviously make it a little bit better for the person uh, there. But you obviously want to be mindful of overload on these apps because i feel like if there are three billion swipes as i said before on this you can you can sort of go into overdrive i feel sam
0: you totally can i love that like humanizing the interaction because text is just not that human there's no sound and sound is so contextual right um you definitely can go into overload and that's leads us into the last brain tool which is just restrict your swipes you know limit limit yourself to a maximum for a day I'm begging you, Kieran, please restrict yourself.
1: Shut up. This is not true. You're giving Kieran's me this terrible not- reputation on this. This is literally not true.
0: Kieran's, Kieran's actually pretty good at this. And that's because he understands the science of why you should do that. And Why should you do that? Well, really simply, reward repetition leads to addiction. So if you're swiping all day, you're repeatedly firing that neural pathway, that synapse in your brain. And you're wiring and wiring and rewiring and strengthening that connection. It's called myelating. So, over time, you're teaching yourself to swipe, not to date, to swipe, especially because it's addictive, like we covered before with the dopamine. So, really simply, set yourself a hard limit. Say, I'm going to cap out at 20 swipes a day or 30 swipes a day, whatever it is, and be really deliberate about sticking to this because the more you swipe mindlessly, the more it becomes a hab- hab- habitual addiction that you won't be able to break as easily. And we've all been there. We've all had the mindless swiping sessions.
1: Well, as we go back, and this is reminding me of our, of our episode on breaking bad habits, make it hard, mm. make it difficult. Yeah, that's it.
0: And it's also like being more conscious too. I found that uh, when I was using the dating apps and I restricted myself to you know 20 swipes a day, you actually you care about who you're swiping left and right on. You read their bios, you try to figure them out. Because it's not just a numbers game. Now it's okay, who is this person?
1: It's a very, very good point. Philosopher Sam, dating guru Sam. I like it.
0: Oh God, don't you dare paint me with that paintbrush. Like what are you
1: <laughs> that is that is your worst line ever i'm you <laughs> to that i thought uh, my problem was bad but look you made me laugh it's,
0: it's really gone off the rails here which is a short <laughs> flash <line>. sign <laughs> we should wrap this thing up asap I,
1: I think we i think we need a retreat <laughs> I, I, think
0: we're, I think we're done for the day i can confidently <laughs> say that so on that premise uh what's what's your 80 20 rule what have you got
1: my 80-20 rule, uh, and I'm still laughing. I'm really sorry. But um, humanize. Stop making me laugh. Humanize every interaction you have uh, on any of these dating apps. Uh, just because it's online, it doesn't mean it makes it inhuman. I think it's very important to leverage the things we've spoken about, to have human interactions, and to really evaluate the value it's providing you. And do you, Sam?
0: Powerful. Look, dating apps are purposely addicting, but don't think of them like dating apps think of them as dating introduction apps so be really mindful of how you're using them of all the addictive properties they have and fight back against it with some of the brain tools we covered but also be mindful that you know they're a way to introduce yourself to people they're they're not a replacement for dating.
1: Yeah dating Sam if you're a guru I love it
0: uh, that, I feel <laughs> so greasy right now. Is this how pickup artists <laughs> used to feel?
1: Oh Jesus not great oh, okay. they're terrible
0: not great <laughs> Uh, that's that's pretty much us for the day, uh, for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Really looking forward to next week's episode, which is on testing Kieran to see if he gets this one right.
1: The neuroscience of relationships. I've got yeah. this one down now. I've I've been burnt by the vitriol that came burnt. my way from everyone on forgetting, so I'm on it now
0: well-deserved and that one's uh, very close to my heart being a long-term uh relationship which has also turned into a bit of a long-distance relationship thanks to COVID lockdown so plenty to talk to that next week um before we go just wanted to say thank you very much for tuning in and for all your amazing feedback and If you are loving the show, jump on iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, It means a lot. It helps us reach more people. But if you are really enjoying the content and you've got some people you know who could benefit from learning a bit more about their brain and stress and well-being and sleep right now, especially considering the current conditions, what would be amazing is if you take a quick screenshot of uh your podcast app with the brand tools and just chuck that up on your instagram story it helps us reach a whole bunch of people in your network and and grow and help more people out and that's pretty much me done for the day my voice is dead uh anything to add before we uh exit
1: not at all just sam i'm so proud of you your uh your last fifty odd minutes of, of fantastic dating advice. I know that you're basically going to replace Doctor Phil right now, and I'm, I'm incredibly proud of you, and, and really looking forward to all the advice that comes next week. Um, so thanks so much for for doing that, uh, and obviously uh, for those listening, in Instagram posting that that'd be amazing. Especially given um, what's happening in Melbourne right now, given lockdown, but also the rest of the world, um, help people help themselves. <laughs>
0: help people help themselves i'm not that I'm, I'm not dr phil but I'm, 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 no. but,
1: sorry I, I tried to round that out being really serious because i like i just i saw your face and i was like i gotta i gotta move out of this okay. but i'm really i'm really proud of you and i'm, I'm really looking forward to relationship advice from sam um, really good
0: can't, can't go and see you next week guys thanks so much for listening to this episode of brain tools We've got three quick things to hit you with before you go. One, if you want to hear other brain tools, you can find our other episodes at the link below and on all podcasting platforms.
1: Number two, if you like this episode, then give us a review on iTunes or Spotify only if it's above four stars.
0: And number three, you can go ahead and join the braintools.mn.co community where we'll post a complete brain guide based on this episode plus a ton of other resources best of all it is completely free
1: cannot wait to see you next episode and until then bye for now see you next episode